This is the Serial and Midnight Podcast. Howdy and welcome to the Serial and Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland and I've got a really interesting, it's a fascinating, highly logical conversation. I'm using Star Trek terminology. I'm channeling my inner Spock. We're talking about Star Trek. Specifically, we're talking about Star Trek, the motion picture, the director's edition. Uh, This chat is with Mr. David C. Fine, who's a director and the producer largely responsible for making the director's edition of the motion picture a reality. He made a promise to the director, Robert Wise, decades ago. And that with the release of the various versions of Star Trek, the motion picture, the director's edition, uh, there's a complete adventure box set that Mr. Fine had a huge hand in uh, shaping with various versions of the movie, all sorts of special features, physical goodies, um, there's the various box sets, a 4K box set. The, the, the director's edition is getting out now. That new version is the fulfillment of the promise that David C. Fine made to Robert Wise decades ago. We're going to hear all about it in the interview. But I want to set the, set the table just a little bit for you guys because if you're not a super huge, you know, if you're not really living and breathing Star Trek, some of this stuff may be a little daunting for you guys. So let's just say um, years ago, so after Star Trek, the original series, leaves television, after the animated series, Star Trek makes a return in a big way to the big screen. Star Trek, the motion picture, huge. We've never seen production values like this before. Robert Wise, the great Hollywood director. I mean, he's a legend, Hollywood legend. Robert Wise uh, directs the film. But the movie as it aired, as as it showed in theaters upon release was not, it wasn't complete. It was an incomplete version of the movie. And this is, I'm quoting Mr. Fine here. There were shots that hadn't been completed. There was footage that hadn't been incorporated yet. And it was just not quite done yet. And so you will note that diehard Star Trek fans will remember over 20 years ago, there was a director's edition released on DVD. Well, the version we're talking about, that's not even the same version. It has continued to evolve. The, the new director's edition is, it has over 180 completed, restored, finalized shots uh, that have not been in previous editions. So it's a huge deal. This is the complete version of the movie. Mr. Fine says, if you've seen the movie before this, you've seen an incomplete version of the movie. This is this is the fulfillment of the original goal. Uh, it's really, really fascinating. So, this for for Star Trek fans, this is a this is a treat. Uh, but it's also really important for people who are interested in movie history, movie preservation. Uh, we get into the, I mean, you guys, we're not just talking about like the legacy of Star Trek. We're talking about how this was actually done. The process by which this was done. Talking about grain, talking about effects, talking about reincorporating shots. Really nuts and bolts stuff that I think is vital. It's essential to uh, our knowledge as film fans. So without further ado, Mr. David C. Fine on bringing Star Trek the motion picture, the director's edition to life. Are you wearing your medallion? Are you wearing the, the Federation medallion that I see you wearing in all of the... Uh... Yep, there it is. You wear that you to the grocery the story. store? No. No. Okay. You see, while I, while I look kind of tiny on the screen here, I want to point out I'm 6'4". I also grew up in New York City. So I have this radar about me that I just feel where anybody is around me. I'm not going to be walking around publicly uh anywhere but at a event or something with this like and this you, do you know the story of this music while you walk well you know disco mccoy has one of these too when he beams up um 
Although, <clears throat> although recently I found out that that's not Disco McCoy. You know what I'm referring to? Yeah. About what but, but people elaborate for the viewer and the listener. Uh, okay. Dave, if, if I'm not going to be on screen, be sure to rephrase the question yourself. So we were talking, uh, talking about Dr. McCoy when he beams up. Many people like the white outfit and they, they, it's the vision that it's Disco McCoy. And for, um, for an upcoming figure through XO, XO6, we were talking about that. And I pulled up a lot of images and started looking carefully because there was some details that they wanted to get right and discovered it's not Disco McCoy. It's Cowboy McCoy. It's re it really is because around uh, he's wearing like a leather belt with some jade in the center. Um, is that jade, the bluish color stone? Turquoise? So. Turqu uh, you know, like Western has a lot of blue and yeah. black. Yeah, uh, it's not jade. Jade is a different color stone. But that's on the belt buckle. And then there's some leather uh, strappings between it. Oh. But um, what's interesting is around his feet, around his legs, you can see where there's a boot he's wearing. So it's like a felt boot that's the same color, but it goes up underneath his pants. And um, there's there's just some other things that we've that we've discovered that that just make it clear that it's a western. Like he was just he had just beamed up from a from a rodeo or something, because it's all western style. But that's futuristic west because he's an old country doctor. Country but it was just doctor. interesting that that was that that was something that um, in in looking closely at it, it's fantastic. Also, the thing that that I always get a kick out of, and never thought of fixing it because it's not really something wrong i realized the last thing that beams up when you beam up is hair or at least facial hair because there's actually i'm going to say that it was facial hair that beams up last but some people might say that it was an error and it's that his shape beams up clean shaven in the, the glow of everything and then when he shows up he has this big beard so i guess facial hair is the last thing that appears when you when you beam up so it's it's not an error it's correct what an easter egg right there so, so could one shave by way of transporter if they wanted to? Uh, shave some time off the transporting. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of possible things that could happen in transporters. But I'll save that for a future story. Okay. How, how exciting is it for you that you, you, know, you grew up loving Star Trek? I know that you were a fan of the original series. I've heard you talk about it. There's a, on the new release that we're going to talk about, there's uh, a lot of new footage of you talking about your affection for the series. How exciting is it for you to be a fan that actually gets to contribute and work on this stuff and make the connection? You got to tell the story of the medallion that you're wearing. I mean, you are an integral part of Star Trek now. How does that feel? Um, interesting and um, a little, a little, a little separate. Um, meaning that there's a lot of things that's going on with Star Trek and I have a different perspective. I, I really try and just focus on the story and the characters and making it be the best Star Trek can be, it can be, not looking into the grand world of what Star Trek is. So how do I, how do I even, that's an interesting, it's an interesting way you put that. I love the fact that we're, we're addressing it and the motion picture was a massive picture and everyone's goal was to have a, a spectacular film and to, to have seen it as a, as a kid 
and have seen it over all the years and always seeing a better picture in what it is. And to work with Bob and be able to get a first assembly of what it should have been mm-hmm. back when we did the previous version um, was spectacular. And I always found that growing up with Star Trek and Kirk and company, um, I love the characters. I know the characters, but I've always felt motion picture. He was too angry. He really came off as, as, as angry. And we wanted to amplify that it's not so much anger, it's insecurity, but Kirk is the most secure person you've ever met. But that insecurity is there real for everybody. Even the strongest people have it. And they just sort of put together what is their strength when they need it. Because frankly, if you think about it, McCoy didn't necessarily have to be, have to be part of that crew. Um, the way the show starts, but Kirk needed him. It was part of who he'd been with all that time. And, you know, even those moments where he's saying about uh, uh, Commander Sinek, you know, I really would like a Vulcan there if possible. He's saying, I wish Fox, Spock was here and to have Spock show up later. And that great quiet Mr. Spock um, is just a wonderful little moment, but that helps him become one and and full and the captain we know whereas there's a lot of things that even later he's a bit harsh and that just wasn't right and it's because a lot of that tuning needed to happen and it was wonderful that bob collaborated with us and allowed me to to express myself and say this is why we needed to make changes and what those changes would be to really bring kirk back and bring him to what it should be and that's what was wonderful was to learn from Bob his goals, but also help forge the film into what it is. And it was magical for me that um, Bob always, always, we always spoke about story first. It has to be solid. And that was a problem with the film that, that he didn't have the story solid. It was a script that wasn't finished when he was working on it. That had never happened. And after the fact, having that ability to, as one would say, fix it in post, to be able to look at it and spend so much time and effort raising various areas to make it be a better story that's told through the many tools that are out there. And Bob always said, you know, use whatever is there to make the best film. It really is about getting that story down in that film that to use Dolby Atmos. The, the power of that to use HDR grading because the film originally, I mean, there were so many little problems with it. One of the ones that we couldn't address even 20 some odd years ago was that they color graded the film. It was called color timing. They timed the film in four days. That's insane. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. But they were so rushed and they had so much footage coming in that if they had basic grading, this is my assumption part of it, I just know it was four days. But if you had basic grading, it would be easy to put something in and have it match the grading by making it even and consistent instead of being designed carefully, practically shot by shot to amplify the moment as opposed to um, just focusing on uh, uh, having a, a, a straight color palette. That's why everything seemed to be even and flat or even cold 
Whereas now there's so much that draws your eye in. And that was the goal to make the film told through color, through sound, through the power of these things, through the brightness to amplify powerful moments. And with everything that's strong, you need time to relax, to recover. Peaks and valleys and stories, just you need that time. And I think that really helped the quiet moments of the film not feel so slow. But what did it mean to me? It's magic. I mean, to be able to go back in and, and craft this, it's wonderful to do it to finish the film. It's another thing to have your own projects, which is the things that I'm working on now, to to do from scratch, but to have that opportunity to finish a film and um, you can tell me what, how the reaction's been to it. Um, I know, I'm just saying that's a, for, not for me to say. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, did I answer that or did I just go off on a tangent about changing the film? You answered it and you opened doorways, which is what every interviewer hopes that is what happens. Do you, you, you refer to it as an unfinished film. Now, it I wasn't was there finished when, until this year. Well, see, so year. I was one of the guys that bought the DVD 22 years ago. And I remember how it grew up with the film as well. Right. I, I think we had a, we had a tape copy from some source. I don't remember if it was, I think it might've been recorded off of television, to be honest with you. But I mean, I, you know, I grew up with this movie, the idea that it's an unfinished film. Why is it unfinished? It is an unfinished because Paramount set a release date before, you know, they have this this machine that has to meet these deadlines. You mean what happened? Yeah, what happened? Why was it unfinished? Okay. Um, there were many problems with the film. And the thing that people don't realize, I, I really don't think many people realize, is that it was the talented people that Bob had around him that made that even possible to get something to release. What had happened was the studio had promised theaters that the film would come in and not only come in on time, but come in at uh, 131 minutes or 130 minutes with credits because they needed to fit it into their time slots for having number of shows per day. Mm -hmm. And the studio had pre-sold it. So they had contracts with theaters all over the world that they're going to have this big event on this day. And while there were some issues with shooting it, but everything was completed on schedule for shooting, uh, 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 the original intentional photography, um, they went to the visual effects company that was hired called Robert Abel and Associates, and they had brilliant ideas on how to do something that looked like things that nobody had ever seen before. And Abel was doing a lot of 70s, you know, chrome commercials and such. There was beautiful work. But when they went and looked at their work about a year after and a few million dollars after, the they didn't have any finished shots at all. What they, the tests that they showed weren't usable. And they had to bring in Richard Urasich, who came to, came from Doug Trumbull's team to go and analyze this. And Doug came in and they finally realized that while Robert Abel's ideas were solid and would be beautiful, there was no way they were going to complete them on time. So there we are with a film that had been roughly assembled with effect sequences that were not gonna be ready. So I think it was um, around this time that, that, that uh, Bob and Gene Roddenberry went to Michael Eisner, who was running the studio at the time, and said, listen, this is an emergency. 
we don't we won't have the effects done in time we can't get the film finished in time and michael eisner said knowing that with those contracts in place there was a lot on the line the entire studio could be sued out of existence who knows what the politics were that might have been because of the powerful deals. I mean, Star Wars had made so much money that, that everybody was relying on this studio. The, the theaters cleared their schedule. You know, they knew what they were doing, but they were contracts that said, this will be happening. That Michael said, um, this is something we, we were told, uh, I don't care if the film has Black Leader in it, it has to go out. And Black Leader is usually what you have for shot missing. I don't care if it's in, if it says shot missing, and not that says it, but I mean, if this Black Leader is spelling it, it must go out. So, you know, imagine being this legendary filmmaker, Robert Wise, who's never had a film go out of control, looking at, I have to do this. And Doug Trumbull was, was brought on, uh, and he said, it's too much work for me. And they brought on uh, uh, John Dykstra, you know, amateurs in the industry. John, you know, John, Doug with his 2001 and Close Encounters and Silent Running History. And, and John just came off that little film, Star Wars. At least these were the best people in the world to work on the film. And they started uh, at that point a very intensive three eight hour shift days. They never stopped working to do uh, all of the effects in time. And there were errors, there were incomplete shots, there were effects elements that never made it into the picture. There were effects shots that were delivered, although we never. Well, there were checks that were delivered after they finished the cut of the film. And before releasing it, they, they the editor and Bob sat down and they knew that they had the 130 minute shot, a uh, running time that they had to deliver it. So they trimmed everything that they could in scenes out of it to just get the most basic story, understanding that when the effects came in, they then put these things back in and get the film's flow together to make it work. And the problem is, the effects were coming in down to the absolute last moment. So some of that footage that Bob had planned to put back in never made it back into the picture, including the point of the picture, the stock crying scene, didn't make it back into the picture, but it was intended to go back into the picture. So what happened was down to that wire, reel by reel, they were finishing it and sending it off to MGM because they had no choice. MGM was making the prints had no choice but to cut an egg and put the thing together and make the reels and literally wet, dripping with chemical wet. The last reel was put into a can, which Bob picked up met himself and took to the airport and flew to, to Washington DC and slept with the movie under his bed um, before the premiere the next day. And everybody flew out there to watch it. These people are exhausted. And they flew out to watch it and you sat there and you watched the first screening of Star Trek, the motion picture. And there are places where since the effects came in again, intended to be tightened, like anything you do, your first thing is you assemble it. They went from first frame to last frame of the effects to just put it in. And there are places where ships weren't moving yet. So you'd have one shot of like the enterprise and, and a few frames in one of the ships starts moving. So it's still in it. And that's jarring and it's disturbing. And it causes, you know, additional problems in a film where it's this the the it's not smooth anymore. It has problems. So 
they watched this and the editor had said to us that as he's watching the film, he's shrinking lower and lower in his seat because there's things that just were driving him crazy that he knew he needed to fix. So they screened it. And afterwards, Bob and Gene went back to Bob Michael Eisner and said, listen, you know, we still have a little bit of time before the theatrical release. Let me get in and do some tweaking. Let's fix that up a little. Let's get it at least smoother. And the answer was no, it, we're too, it's too much of a concern that if we do, then um, people may get the idea that the studio doesn't have faith in the picture if you had to go back and make changes if the word got out. So we have to go with it. So imagine a mad rush of scrambled mess put into theaters. And I, believe it or not, it was one of the more, it was very successful. Uh, one of the reasons, one of the ways that I was presenting this, uh, and people forget about this, is that, you know, people say, look at the box office, you know, the others made more money. Well, one of the first things that I did when I'm trying to convince people at the studio and otherwise about how the importance of the picture is I worked on it for adjusted dollars to today. And the only film that made more money than it was uh, JJ's 2019, uh, 2009, that one, because it had the same benefit that motion picture had. And that's that motion picture at that point, if you've ever watched the first assembly of a picture, it doesn't have the flow. It's just, here's the stuff presented to you to look at. You work out the flow later that when you fine tune things, this was an assembly. Remember, he even went to Jerry Goldsmith and said, Jerry, I don't know what we're going to be looking at. I need you to write me a symphony. And he did. And that's the whole going through the cloud was written without any understanding about what would be there. Jerry knew he was carrying the film. And Bob had that. And even that became too long. So even that had to be tightened in, 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 in uh, a little. But you don't want to lose the beautiful imagery that we're seeing at the same time. But all those jarring moments throughout the film distracted and um, jumping ahead a little, that was one of my specific focuses this time, more than ever before, was that even when we did it back for the DVD, there were places throughout the film where something is jarring, where we couldn't fix it as well as we could now, but we did now. For example, the beautiful zoom in shot of Kirk before it cuts to the Enterprise, there's this, there's this view, zoom in shot on him. And as it's zooming in, when you get close to him, the camera goes and then gets closer. And that thing just suddenly goes, whoa, you're watching this, you're, you're, like you're focused on his eyes, but then the shake takes you out of the movie. And this time around, one of my primary focuses were to, was to make sure that all of those disturbing little moments that take you out, jar you, that shake you, that have you look at those instead of being in the movie as an audience member, just enjoying what you're seeing, had to be smoothed out. And other examples are the, the, the effects were so rushed that in the composites, there was some massive grain because they used high speed film for some of that work that the grain became so big that all you could see was this beautiful image with grain everywhere. And the point was to go and carefully shot by shot, removing that grain, but making sure none of the detail was lost. It was not anything automatic. It was a manual process of cleaning that 
so that it could be smooth and then put in a consistent grain. So you don't have that jarring removal of your experience uh, taking you out of it. It's the same thing when they're talking about transmitting the signal to, to V'ger, you know, Spock transmit now, he hits his hand, his hand shakes, and then you have uh, a Decker go transmitting and it's another, that, no, that's another thing that takes you out of the moment because you're jarred by it. So now that's smoothed out. And because we were working from the camera negative of the film throughout the whole thing, it was all from the camera negative, there's more room around the frame of what you're seeing so that it didn't have to be one of those classic, well, if you're gonna stabilize it, you need to freeze it there and then zoom in to get your, no, there's actually room so that we were able to stabilize it and then have the real frame without losing any picture quality. And it's also wonderful now that, but one of the things that Bob hated was the, uh, the terrible flicker of the monitors all over the bridge. They flickered a lot, even to the point where he started, since it was, he started filming, uh, staging people that you'll notice later in the film as it goes along, actors are standing in front of the monitors that flickered the most. They staged them so that he, they would be blocking the monitors. Thanks to technology today, we're able to go in and get them all stable so that they don't flicker because it's another thing that you're watching. And I mean, look at my face right now. Can you pay attention to my face while I'm making, you know, you have to be alert to the other movement that's going on when you should be looking at me. Yeah. And it was all about now, how can we take out everything that was distracting in the picture and make it work so that it's all about your experience that you get to enjoy seeing the film and it's about how you feel to what you're watching, not the distractions. You know, one of the other things was that the travel pod with, with Kirk and Scotty, that uh, the effects at the time, the way they did it was that they projected them onto the glass front. And because of it, they kind of looked bulbous there. They didn't look real. And this time we actually took them and moved them back a little so that they now look natural. And the thing is, I hope you didn't notice it because yeah. no one should notice these things. They should just now look right as opposed to that little bit that's, that, that, that takes away your belief of what's going on. And that was my whole goal this time was to get a smoother picture. But with what they had, you know, when, we, when you do, and the reason it didn't happen last time was that when you do standard def transfers, you do all the color, color correction before you do the finished film. Before, before we would do our recut. So we had our masters and we did that. There was no reason, no way to go back and have all that latitude of, of adjustment uh, that you could do after we did our edit. So with standard definition, it didn't give us the color grade abilities that we have with the negative. Plus when I came back this time, I told them that the, the goal here, the 100% goal was not a video, not a Blu-ray, not a 4K disc, not a streaming version, it was a new film negative. You know, we had always intended that when we presented the standard definition version to the studio, okay, here you go. Now let's go finish it on film. And there really were no revivals at the time. There was no reason for them to do it. So I, we, we just, you know, thought that they would because they'd see how wonderful it was and let us go further. But instead we had a DVD was where the studio made its money. So they did. And all these years later, we're finally able to get back. But, um, you know, it was sad because the director's edition was the closest thing to the finished film of a completed version of the film. 
And on iTunes, it was go buy the theatrical version. Oh, by the way, we'll throw in the director's edition. That's a freebie. That's a bit, you know, out of order. And I can't tell you how absolutely thrilled I am that number one, I didn't have to push for it. It just happened. The studio has embraced the director's edition as the movie now. And that's wonderful. And now you go to iTunes and buy it, you get the director's edition and you'll get the unfinished 1979 work print that was in theaters uh, as the bonus, the way it should be. But they always have to look at what's the highest quality. So imagine finishing the film, going through all this, making this wonderful version on standard def, wishing that it would be there and then watching it go back to the 1979 unfinished version um, for high def and everything else. You know, Bob, Robert Wise was very uncomfortable with what happened because it was the only film that ever got away from him in his entire history. And honestly, he didn't do very many pictures afterwards because it was such an experience. And he, it's, this is a good segue. For the first time ever, he was proud of the film when we did the director's edition on Standard Def. And before, after seeing it, and before the premiere, and before we publicly went out with it, he had me come up to the uh, to his condo, which is like the Twin Towers across from uh, 20th Century Fox. That's where he used to live in those two, those two uh, uh, twin condo com complexes. And he sat me down in his little kitchen nook and uh, he and his wife, Millicent, and um, they said, I, I have something for you. And I, I said, what? And he brought me this. And he said, um, whoa, that uh, Gene gave it to me, first day of the film, along with my Enterprise hat. And um, it meant a lot to me. And they were ones made up for, um, the actors and for other key people, but the only one that was gold with the jewels was Bob's and I believe Gene had one. And he said, I want everybody to always know that what it means to me, because I wore this just about every day on the set, either under my shirt, but over many times, I want anybody who sees it or worked on the film to know how much you mean to me and the work you, know, you guys have done to finish the Wow. the film and how much this means and he said anytime whether or not i'm here or not you're talking about the film wear this not just not just because those people who recognize it from the film but also because i'll be with you about it and that's why whenever i talk to people i have that honor if i go to an event i'll wear it mm -hmm. but otherwise i would never dare wear that out normally <laughs> and it, if i wasn't have, six foot four do you have security when you walk to your to car me. at a convention uh, yeah, I have a six foot four giant who's, uh -huh. you know, I went to Manhattan every day since I was 12, you know, for years and uh, was probably mugged dozens of times, but I don't remember. I was having a talk with somebody about that. When you go to, when you go to New York City and you live there, um, you basically go from point A to B and the way you survived at that point in the city is you don't even remember what happened between those two places. You kind of go on autopilot, even to the subway, even to whatever, A to B, and no matter what happens, you just ignore it. And I remember fleeting ideas about people pulling things like knife or whatever and just stop. 
walk around them, keep going. And it, it gave me this sense of, I know what's going on behind me. I know what's, I can't help it. I walk into a room. And yeah, I saying that, I always think the more I talk about this, someone's going to try and do something. And uh, I've even considered making a fake one just to, but no, <laughs> where, where the, where it really under, under my shirt, but no, but it means a lot, meant a lot to me. And Bob, one of the things I'll close the story with later on after the release and after everybody was so thrilled with the director's edition who had seen it because it was marketed to Star Trek people at the time, not anywhere bigger. Um, when the idea of high def coming out was happening, um, you know, Bob had, came, brought me back to that little breakfast nook and said that I need you to promise me that no matter what from forever, you'll get this finished on film. You'll do whatever you need to do to make sure, because I'm now proud of it, that that pain, that, that, that my legacy is not that other version. You know, yeah, it's going to come back because it's the film one that's not up to current standard. But my legacy will be the director's edition, and you need to promise me that that'll happen. And um, there were lots of false starts that we had over the years, but it wasn't just um, coincidence now that it happened. You know, back then I introduced them to HDR. Bob, we were talking about using uh, not HDR, but the idea that they discovered that there's more image on film. A guy named John Lowry, I knew at the time, we actually brought in uh, uh, some footage. I gave him the probe on the bridge and funny, he didn't give it back to me. It was too hard to make a, a fix on that because that's that was a that was a, a serious, really difficult situation. But anyway, we spoke about HDR as it being something, what would future be HDR? And I thought it was brilliant that I was talking about how they found all this extra information. John Lowry with Lowry Digital was squeezing it into the visual range and he did the Star Wars films. That's why they look so brilliant in the, in the Bond films. And it was Bob who actually turned to me and said, you know, what if they went the other way? What if there was a new way to present things where you could see all that extra space? And I thought that was brilliant ahead of his time to say it. But that's where the conversation came up about um, if you can do it, should it look like 79? Which, and, and he said, it's always about, especially with a film about the future, it's always about how can you tell the best story and get the best experience for your audience. And that's what the focus was here. We had Dolby Atmos, we have HDR, we have a probe on the bridge where people are you know, covering their eyes because it's so bright that we can get it bright to where people can have more of that involved experience. And that's how it was, how we, I, I went and engraved it. I mean, the, the probe on the bridge sequence goes to 3,600 nits. Your system can't handle that today. But we made sure that the 4K discs are encoded to it. So 10 years from now, you're gonna be able to see it and it'll be better when your system can handle that brightness because it's encoded that way to reach those levels. I'm excited. But that's, again, using everything that's there. But Bob had me promise that I would get it done. And I said, if it takes the rest of my life, I'll do it. And that's where I said to the studio, I'm here to finish the film. If we're going to be making videos or other versions, I'll support that. We'll do it. But we must end this with a new negative, a DCP, and have it have the ability of go to theaters, to go to theaters. And it, I don't know if you knew this, but it opened in London. 
in the UK. It actually had a real opening and ran for weeks in the London theaters. Wow. In the States, it, it ran through Fathom, Fathom, uh, uh, Fathom, Fathom which had yeah. the three-day the three day experience because they have a deal with, with Paramount that when they put something out, they have to go through the three-day. Uh, the, 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 the Fathom gets first. I believe they have first, right? And they did the three-day experience and it, and it was presented here. Well, the Toronto Film Festival, it's not a new film, so it wouldn't be shown in the festival. Their theater booked it over Christmas on their own the theater because the movie is available anywhere in the world you can now book it if you wanted to the, the dcp and another theater chain called uh, phoenix theaters in michigan had a uh a, a trumbull film forum uh event which was wonderful we actually went and supported that they ran the film in, in atmos for a week wow. and it had great response and it's wonderful that people have the discs and they're demanding to see it in the theater because it's an epic movie that belongs in a theater more than anything, this tiny little enterprise should be massive, and it should be that movie experience that it was all always intended to be. So, I'm elated that this child we birthed is growing up and it's finding its audience on its own, and it's it's living, and it, it's so much more than I expected. I I knew we were doing great things, and I knew that getting the smoothing it out was going to be dramatically helpful but to know that it's working and that it's really working with new audiences today and the slow places aren't as slow because we had highs before it and you needed that time to recover and then highs again and that it's working i think they made a 2022 movie that they shot in 1979 79 because I, I like I like telling this part of the story is the, the the primary focus is technology without humanity is cold. Well, in 1979 they had a great breakthrough. I still remember the commercials, the two people fighting on a phone. One's doing the rotary dial, the other's doing touchstone, and that was the greatest technology that we had. Now, when you say technology without without uh, 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 humanity is cold we're looking at that. That's the world for people. And it means more. Separating yourself from the promise that you made to Mr. Wise, did you, in 2001, when you turn in this product, you're like, okay, we finished this thing to the best of our ability. Did it feel unfinished to you? Knowing you still wanted to bring it to film, did you feel like there's still room for improvement in the future? Because I mean, I, I think, correct me if my numbers are wrong here. The 2001 edition of the uh, director's edition has a hundred new enhanced digital effect shots. This, the newest version, 2022 has 185. Are those numbers correct? Uh, the original one is correct. The 185 is a rough. Okay. It's a rough number. Still though, that's a lot of, um, that's a lot of advancement. That's a lot of enhancement, but a lot of that has to do with the control that we had because we had, I had, I had, well, if you really want to get down to it, just about every single shot in the film was touched in some way. Every shot. Because there's a lot of people who, I mean, I don't know if you saw the 4K theatrical version that came out, uh, which was nice because they did it exactly as I would have best hoped it to be which is the day they announced that motion picture was coming out in 4K was the day it was announced that the director's edition was coming. That was intentional 
because as we had mentioned, I think before we started, there's a tremendous amount of respect and understanding of the fans that are that's necessary. And there's a lot of people who believe in bait and switches happening in video. That when you do something and then, oh, look what showed up, we're gonna do this. And it was bad enough that the unfinished film was out there. I couldn't go through another time of we're going to release motion picture again in the version that everybody that, that, that makes Bob cringe. That makes me cringe because it's just not finished. So to have the announcement, the director's edition was coming, at least the fans knew it was up to them if they were going to buy it or not, which they would. Let's be fair. We knew they would. Everybody does because even I would buy it to just be able to see how beautiful it would look in 4k. It's fair. It makes total sense. And it was a good move. But I would have, but I also know how I would have felt if after the release, oh yeah, the director's edition's coming. It wouldn't feel right or be right. And certainly it's not what Bob would have wanted. So for Bob's film, it's better to have it the way that it that it happened, is like that. But you going back to what you were saying. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> no. Um, when we, when we finished it, we always intended film always, we always wanted, we needed the film to be finished because, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, because this film has a 20 year cycle, 20 years after the original, we did the, the DVD 20 years to the, we did the four, 20 years from now when we have the 3D holographic floating in the air, inject in your arm copy of the movie. By the way, that's true. They're encoding movies and DNA is something Technicolor was working on. Don't, don't put a bomb in me. Anyway, um, when there's this new version and you can see more or it's something new, the film needs to have its finished version have the same chance as every other movie as I was saying earlier. So yeah, it was always unfinished business and I'll speak personally. And it's, it's, it's something that I, I hadn't really realized until more than ever before. And this is something I'll give you that I haven't told anybody. It's kind of personal. I think I was held back from pursuing more of my own stuff because of the unfinished business. Maybe, maybe in a way that was something that was happening with Bob. I don't know, because it wasn't even as conscious to me that I wasn't pursuing my own work as hard as I usually would or, or that I would do it, but I would not because you just didn't finish that last one to be free. And I don't know what Bob was experiencing. We had discussed it a little, but it's, it's odd. I just, I almost feel like I didn't, shouldn't have said that. But now I'm focusing on, on focusing on the new projects that I want to do and the stories I want to tell and something I'm developing for Star Trek right now that I'm excited to, to pitch soon. <clears throat> it's, it's fantastic. Um, no, I'm not going to. Anyway, uh, but, but no, because even then we just said, and I, and I used the same, same thing we planned back then. How many times can you go to a studio and say, you know, you make a promise and you're going to go make something great. You're going to do it. And we had something to show that said, this is what you're going to get when you're finished. You know, here's the disc, here's the movie. This is what you're going to get. And they know what they're getting 
before they put the money in. So it was like a, it was like an easy thing to do it, but you still had to have it be financially beneficial to do it. So again, we would have liked to have continued to do the project for, you know, uh, back then on film. And in the end, we, we still didn't, you know, it, it was just the fact the technology, the, the real fact of how it came about right now, wonderfully, it, it, we waited so long that we were able to do HDR, able to do Dolby Atmos. So it really benefited and having the tools that we could do today, we use today, was so fantastic to make it be the best film that this film could only be today based upon that experience. And my two passions are computers and uh, is entertainment and technology. So I've been studying, I mean, come on, if I have a standard F thing, I've been studying every up-res thing in existence, knowing that there's no way in hell it could ever be as good if you up from an older version. Plus, I, I use this analogy all the time. Um, I don't think I don't know if I've said it publicly, but I'll, I'll say it. If I gave you a matchbox car this big, and I said, would you go take that and make me a full size one that's going to be this size, but you never saw what another car looked like. What do you think that would look like? Even if you're the most talented person in the world, it would look like a very clean, very sharp, very pretty looking block with wheels that had no idea about what the nuances were, because that's the that's where the mind up here who knows the, 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 the product can only involve uh, the images. And that's why we had to go back and do the effects over. But even back then, uh, the team at Foundation Imaging who did an amazing job for us uh, with Darren Docterman um, leading it. Um, the, uh, um, we, I told them from the start, do this with the clear understanding that you're going to, to 4K at some point for film, you're going to film. So don't shortchange your work or do it in such a way that you couldn't do it in 4K. And we archived all of those effect setups so that we knew that we'd get back to it. We didn't think it was going to be 20 years. And as it turned out, we had them, but some of them just were, you know, had to be redone because the quality had, had, had increased so much. I know our enterprise is a, is a completely different new enterprise, but still based upon Darren over the years, knowing that we were going to do it continually to rebuild and improving, improve the enterprise, which of course, Darren's such a, a, an amazing talent and master. He'd be doing that anyway, just as his love from the ship. But we, he knew that someday we'd get back and do it. And that's what we used. So also looking at the film, you know, there were things that I was never happy with. Um, I have a personal vendetta against one scene in the film. I wanted to fix it. And even today, we never found the footage. And I, I, I did the best we could to fix it further. And that's the probe on the bridge. I wanted to find the original negative of the light probe before the mylar. Doesn't exist. Can't find it. And because of that, um, the only thing we could do is I sent it to a colorist who spent his time doing everything possible to enhance and make it match. We took the grain out, but it always felt to me like you hit that point and the film stopped and somebody grabbed this old reel of something else and put it in and it goes for that sequence and it just didn't fit. Now with all the work that's in there, it looks like it fits. The uniforms match, the skin tones match, the, because we had an expert, Alexis Van Herten, who really worked hard to get it to match the movie and then enhanced it and moved, the, moved things around and did all the other fixes we did before, stabilizing. The whole film has been stabilized to, to correct it, but that's a scene that I feel we, we uh, made much better, much, much better now. 
but still not where I wish it could have been without the Mylar because don't know where it is. Maybe that was one thing that I wish we could do. It. Yeah. Who knows what will show up? You know, there's some things that showed up. I mean, it's amazing. And the studio, we kind of knew three years ago we were going to do this. So they started a, a three-year exhaustive search going through the studio. And the most amazing thing that they found was the ADR tapes, which is great because you get to hear Bob directing the actors on the takes that, they, that he wanted. And much of that didn't make it into the film because it was so rushed, even in the sound mix. And it was uh, Michael Medicino, who, of course, is a master of, of music, uh, who did all the music and, and, and worked with our sound guys originally. And now Michael worked with Michael Babcock and Bruce Botnick on the amazing music mix, which he'd been, they'd already been working with it for our multiple soundtracks through La La Land Records that came out over the years, the three track, three CD and now the two CD. Um, that just is wonderful that I mean, but that sound mix with Mike and Michael Babcock, Michael you know, just uh, brought it to a new level there. And the idea, again, was to what we had said with Bob, use the best tools available, make the best movie. And the sound plays as much of a role now as the grading where it brings you in. And the only, the only thing I'm, I, I wish could happen faster is people just rediscovering it. Because as they rediscover it, they love it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, if there's anything I could do that I would wish is that more people would know about it sooner. But it's amazing that it keeps growing and growing and growing as word of mouth gets out. And that's really the best way anything can be, is that if word of mouth is the best marketing in the world. But I would like it to get even bigger. How has fandom reacted to this, this latest, uh, dare we call it a revision, this latest finalized version? Have you gotten, you know, there's three versions of the movie. Well, there's more than that if you want to count that longer you know there's like a lot of the that the what is it two and a half hours it's like a hundred and hundred and forty three minutes there you go um special longer version do you get people saying well i i liked the 2001 why did you have to go mess up you know mess this thing up do you get any sort of notes or any feedback i can't remember anyone saying that they preferred the 2001 version and um, all I can say is that means we did our job because it really, to, to, to accept what we have today and not feel nostalgia for that particular version as this is the extension of it is very touching because this really is the finished film. Um, sure, there might be tweaks here and there, but you know, nowadays that's normal for any film that they have a little bit of an adjustment that happens here and there but um and god help me there's uh probably five cuts if you don't call the uh uh if you don't consider an airline version which i don't but there's probably five different cuts um i want to touch on that for a second uh i'm not going to talk about what the different cuts are but what i will say is um there's something that i do understand as being a, a physical media enthusiast and, and, and believer is that I think, I think there's a, just touching on physical media for a while. I have a huge collection of physical media, probably four, four or 5,000 movies and um, finding a place to put them all. That's another story, but they were organized. Um, probably a third, if not half, haven't been watched. There's a certain amount 
of your memory that matters and what you feel in your heart. And there's a certain amount of comfort knowing it's there, that it's just sitting out there. If I want it or I have that need, it's there for me. And many, many people were introduced to Star Trek The Motion Picture through the special longer version, which was the TV cut um, assembled and put out on videotape. And uh, because of a campaign that they, it had the Spock crying scene, it actually had the purpose of the film. Um, other than the fact that it was very raw, rough cut with on-set dialogue recordings and doors that would rumble open and close because the sound mix wasn't finished, the scenes, some, some of the scenes were, were intended to be put back in by Bob originally that were left on the side to be reassembled, but not all of them. And but that is the way pe many people remembered the movie. So when I went back to the, the theatrical 79 version release, those scenes were missing. And suddenly you had people who knew the film because they grew up with the videotape release or the television pen and scan release, suddenly had a version that they didn't even feel familiar with. So that version was completely gone until this release where I said, we have to put that out. And if we do a box set, let's exclusively put it in that set for the people who grew up with it and want that cut of the film and need it because that means something to people. Every year for Thanksgiving, they might've come back and watched it with their family. They couldn't find that which meant so much to them. And that's what it is. It's who you watched it with and the experience of growing up, having that be the movie for them, that it doesn't invalidate those versions for what they are and it certainly doesn't invalidate a fan's love and passion i love the fact that there's very few people that are saying that they like those versions better than where we are today and i love the fact that i feel like the director's edition today is so far higher that it looks like the polished film that it is that it should be um my favorite quote after our premiere was uh, uh, Doug Drexler, if you know who he is. I, I didn't hear him say it directly, but other people have told me. My favorite quote was his, because it was that he said, um, this is now the movie that we always wished that it was. And I understand that because we all, every time I even watched it, it was always you dreamt that it could be this. And it is now. And I love the fact that the world's picking up on that and that the fans are picking up on that and that even the studio, this is now the key version of the film. Uh, it's playing on HBO right now. You watch it on TV, you'll get that version of the film. If you ever wanna know which one it is, gold opening credits, end credits, that's the one. If it's white and looks like a Woody Allen picture, not the right one, but the finished one is gold and clearly high def. Um, you worked on that box set. Let's talk about the box set, because the 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 multi-disc, multi-version box set that's got the fold-out package. Complete adventure. The complete adventure. Tell me a little. Let's let's we want to get the word out. Talk about that release and kind of the 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 TLC that went into it. Cause I mean it's exhaustive in uh features and just also bumper stickers and <laughs> all kinds of things. Well, uh that was actually What's, what's wonderful is I gave Paramount a ton of classic material and they assembled that from the ton of material that I gave to them uh, that we had in our archive and such, even the bumper stickers. I did say that I thought it would be cool if you took the bumper stickers. Okay, I'm doing something no one's seen before.
and it became your uh, laptop stickers instead because nowadays people put them on a laptop. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I fairly know, if you notice the stickers here are not pulled out of the paper because we don't ruin a sticker and put on things. We want to keep it perfect. So anyway, I have a, I, I understand that part of it too, but I'm just saying that, that, that the laptop where people are putting it on there to make it their own is neat. And I said, with the with these, just the fact that they were doing such cool marketing back then, they had everything under the sun that could be crazy marketing, marbles, matchbook covers, you know, so much of this stuff just to get the word out because it was huge that I wanted to help capture the the excitement that was from that original release, but also do something really special by having so many more images and the book that had so much in it and um I love their design. So I gave them all the material and I love how they assembled it into the project. I also said we had to do the special longer version for that. And that was the first time it would ever been assembled on anything but the the pan and scan. And um don't know if you knew this, but I I'm responsible for the film in every format. And I have to look at it from the perspective of the movie is going to be seen by people. There's no way that the movie could be seen with Kirk leaving the Enterprise, which is a scene that shouldn't be there to begin with because he's in a different space suit for another scene that was cut. And when he gets out into space, he has the same suit as Bach has on, which he somehow changed in space. But when he leaves the Enterprise, when you're looking at it in four by three, um, that's fine. You can see him come out, but you might see a little bit of you know stage in the frame by four by three. You take that and you make it widescreen and guess what you see? Lots of stage, lots of stage. You know, It doesn't work anymore. So um, we did one new effect shot, and that was that we put a mat of the Enterprise under there so that when you watch the film, you shouldn't, just like I said, you can't, you got to look at the audience experience. You can't have them suddenly say, oh, look, soundstage, completely out of the film doesn't work that way. So for the special longer version, I insisted that we do that one shot and we gave it to the studio to, you know, for that. And then also insisted that as a special feature because there's going to be somebody who says well i want to see the we have the other one now we originally in you know 2001 gave the scene without the gave all the deleted scenes separate in widescreen which was the first time people could see it but this was in the film so you have to be able to watch the film without having that moment of we're looking at soundstage as as rough as that was it still needed to be um, an experience to watch. And I just owe that to any audience member. So that was a big deal, but overall, um, yeah, my, my, uh, special edition producer, uh, Rafael Ruiz put the features together. We had a ton of footage. We had so much footage and there's a shot in there of when, you know, there was only, it was the travel pod shot where you're looking at the travel pod as they go up over the enterprise. And I'm glad that it's in the special features because, we never had the plate of Kirk and, and, and uh, 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 Scotty for the foreground. So the background couldn't be changed. Um, so what I assumed was looking at it from back there, the view through the screen, looking through the window would soften the image. So anytime we had it from the back, we just assumed that that's why it was softer. But to have Doug Trumbull's originally, original 65 millimeter element of that was I, first that was the first shot that I saw in 65 I fell off my chair in awe 
was so beautiful. And then to learn we couldn't use it, it's in the special features now, but there's so many other ones in there. And to have, I, you know, I knew we needed certain places where we needed some of the, the bridge uh, 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 playback and we, and Paramount had them. So we transferred a number of those and we found some other great computer uh, footage that was great that had never been seen. So it's just, just wonderful collection of material. And um, we had sitting around since the, for 20 years, the, the cave Spock, caveman Spock shot, which I knew was going to make people excited to see it because I was excited and that we just couldn't put it in it the last time. So I knew that was going to be something special too. But um, I'm, I am V'ger. I have an insatiable curiosity. I want to know everything. And my history was doing documentary material that tells everything on a film. So I helped guide getting more of that. What is it that would really be exciting to fans because it would be exciting to me as well from a perspective of that to help him get that in order. But the nostalgic aspect of the boxed special collector's edition was a focus that I had as well as let's include the new key art. I got to tell you, the Paramount did an amazing job with the, the new key art because it's very relevant to today and it looks like a movie of today, which is what it should. And that's why when we were putting this box together, part of the idea was, well, should we put the original theatrical in the entry? Nobody has a poster of what the new art is. Let's give them it. So that's how that became in that collection as well. So um, I love the fact that I love, they came up with this. I love the fact that you open it up and there's that 70, 79 uh, cutaway poster of the Enterprise, which everybody loves. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. And it, it just was, it was right on. And Bob's letter, right where it is, which he wrote for the last version, but we needed to keep intact because that's his message to you. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make sure that everybody who saw it knew what he felt. And it's funny, nobody ever questioned that it's, when was this written? I'll tell you what is special. The original director's edition wasn't known by everybody. And it's wonderful to hear people who didn't even know about that one to experience the film now. Because they didn't even know of the first different, you know, recut. But imagine going from what was there before to now this. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. And I love hearing people who are seeing it for the first time because it's working at every age group. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a guy on um, on Facebook that this morning absolutely touched my heart. I had such a smile. I, I sent it to everybody. And what it is is that he had a picture. He said, I just finished watching motion. This was from yesterday. I just finished watching motion picture with my eight-year-old son. And it was his son sitting on the ground with his, with his uh, uh, pencils, colored pencils and stuff drawing the enterprise coming out of uh, the wormhole. And I just went, we're, we're, we're touching that new generation. And that he said he loved it. I don't know any kid that would have had eight years old that would have had the intention span to stay through those long scenes. Not that they were wrong, just that they could have been cut down a little more for the timing, getting the pacing down that would love it. And now because of those highs, it just, it works better than I even thought it would reach. 
but uh, it's it's wonderful. I mean, I'm still getting, I love every one of them. I get random messages, you know, just saw it, loved it. And it's it's amazing. This is over a year ago. We, you know, about a year ago, we put this out. Mm-hmm. So uh, the point here is, is that the fans deserve respect because once we release something, it's their movie, their memory, their passion. And I don't think it's right Although I thought of it in the past, perhaps that way, but I don't think it's right to take that away from somebody. And that's why streaming is a concern for me, only in the sense of anybody could change what's on there. And when you sit down in your easy chair or whatever, wherever you're going to enjoy your movie and you want to watch something because something you've seen many times because you love it and you want that experience, you may not want to have something that's different. And that's why I hope people are adapting now for the director's edition today in 4K is that newfound love, that newfound joy of seeing and enjoying the film for what it is today, because now it's finished. And that's a little different from George Lucas saying, you know, I was never really happy with the picture. I just wanted to do, you know, a few little things. And he had a Rolling Stone article many years ago that was written with him talking right after Star Wars came out, explaining all the things that he didn't like about the film why he didn't fix them all or address those things i don't know but some of them he did like if you said that anyway this was a case that the film wasn't finished until now because it's on film and i hope everyone's happy with it it's wonderful i want to thank you for your work on it i want to thank you for making it happen i hope that you have a sense of closure now after all these years in some capacity do you I, I absolutely do. I mean, I it, it's 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 the first time that I feel like we've delivered the baby. Um, I always felt through circumstance, I kind of felt robbed when we did this special version originally to give people a better film. And even Bob was thrilled with it. And that's what was supposed to be it but even the studio it never took its proper place as the movie mm-hmm. now it has and now i just want to see people learn more and more about it and i want you if you love it to tell everybody introduce it it's you who's going to be able to tell people that this is something special and that they will enjoy it share your joy because it works now and say this is what i tell people don't do it for me. Do it because I want you to have a great experience because I want you to enjoy it because I'm that audience member too and I love it. And if you love it, let other people have the joy too. That means a lot to me. And it's only word of mouth that's going to make it bigger. And I I still have some good things coming that I hope you'll enjoy. Not Is there specifically you can talk about. Is there anything you've because you don't just work on Star Trek, you do other things. Is there anything you can tell us? I'm developing the projects that I'm pursuing. I'm going to be pursuing them very soon, but more importantly, I mean, I want something to be great. Mm -hmm. So I'm spending the time that's necessary for it to happen, but I've had some conversations here and there with people and there's a lot of interest. So I just want to make sure that it's on the level of what we're doing here. Where can people keep in touch with what, when these announcements do come, when you want to announce things, where can people follow you? Where can they find you? Well, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, I suppose I can give you information for here. It's all, down, it's all down in the video's description. Um, 
I'm on Instagram. Um, uh, there's a, if you want to want to learn a lot more about the film, there's a private group called the Star Wars Appreciation Society on motion, on uh, uh, Facebook. And because it's private, I like going there and looking at the messages and I'll comment on it. And some of our team does too, but not in the public way, just a, a good way to be there because I do care what people think, not in the sense of about the film. I just care about how you feel about the film and you know i'm not going to debate the film but i care when somebody says look my son did this yeah. and it touches my heart and i love it and i just love to say yeah that's wonderful and you know occasionally show something or say something we found like we found some old uh, i i get a kick out of this too because that whole bridge sequence worth building to to viger you know which that was designed in 79 they didn't have enough time so what's the fastest way to do it? Okay, we're going to pull up to this flat brick road. <laughs> Bay wall, brick wall. We'll just pull up to it, connect there, and then walk across. It, the whole idea was lost. So one of the things that I found recently was, and I posted it at the, at the uh, uh, Appreciation Society group, was um, um, found a, a promotion for the book that was coming out, one of, the, one of the many books that were being written. And it had everyone standing on the, the set of it going up to the center major complex, uh, brain complex, but it had the bridge. It was like, this is 79. I could see people going, where is this? And now it's there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's so many little things now. And we expanded the movie a bit. There's, there's little things in there that, that are subliminal that work really beautifully. I like teasing people and saying that there are two established dream sequences in there, kind of where what you're seeing on screen isn't actually what's happening. Right. Not that that's, you know, one of them's more, one of them's more passive, but the, more particular. But the point is you don't want to point it out and say this, because then it's suddenly no longer subliminal. Right. But the one I will talk about, as I've said to other people too, is that, um, you know, amplifying moments are important. When Ilea uh, uh, connects with with Chekhov earlier on, and I can stop his pain, and touches him. In the past, we just had the music come up as they're doing this. Now we drop out the sound effects because for that moment, they're connected. It might have been shorter than that. It might have been longer than that. But for that moment, you're not with the crew. You're with them. So that's what's going on with them. What, what people outside watching are not watching that. It's more of an intimate thing. And that's what my focus was now is how can I make that experience be more personal for you? You know, how can you get to be more involved? And there's, there's surprising other things hidden throughout that really, really work beautifully. I'm so proud of, of how well it works because as an audience member myself, I, I love it. And I can't wait for everybody to see it, especially if you haven't seen it for the first time. I love the, people said that um, you used to have to make excuses for the film or, you know, it's a good film, but you'll make it through only if after. And they don't have to, they, they, people come to me with joy on their face and it makes me even smile even more when they say, I don't have to say that anymore about the film. It is what it needs to be. And I'm, I'm so touched. I, I can't begin to tell you, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for the time that you spent here with me and with my audience. And thank you for the work that you've done in this movie. I love it. And uh, it, it, it is noticed and appreciated. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hope you, uh, hope you all enjoyed it. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. 
I tell you guys, that was such an interesting conversation, and it makes me think about, you know, as we talk about the future of, of movies, you know, we're so married to discs, right? And, you know, I love physical media. I'm a physical media proponent, but we're so married to discs. Uh, I think there's a time coming when we're not going to be watching our entertainment on discs. It's going to be in different formats. We can say ownership is a whole other question, but the, the idea of, like, genetically coding things to, I mean, that's, it's, it's fascinating. It's scary. It's, wait a minute, Doc, this is heavy. Uh, so I, there's so much here, right? There's so much here to think about and to kind of pick apart and to, to digest. Uh, it's a heavy conversation. You may, may have to listen to it a few times. I've watched in the process of like getting this ready and editing it. I've watched it repeatedly. And every time I see it, there's or, you know, listen to it or whatever. There's new stuff that comes out. So I want to thank David C. Fine for uh, talking to me in this, uh, in this interview. Um, really generous with his time and with his information. I mean, guys, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, if you love Star Trek and if you have not seen this new final, the finalized version, the complete version of the director's edition, you got to check it out. You got to pick it. There's so many ways you can do it, right? Um, you can do it streaming. You can do it digitally. You can do it through that complete adventure box set. You can do it through the 4K box set of the complete adventures of the original crew. Yeah, There's a variety of ways you can do it. This, this, this thing is out there. So check it out. As you heard in the interview at the end of the episode, um, it's so important that we share this. That's really the role. Like it, I want to, I, I say sometimes in my videos, I want these videos or the comments of my videos or my, my, if you're listening to this in audio format, I want the comments or whatever to be like hanging out at the video store. Because if, if like, if you weren't there, you know, if you were there, you know, but you would walk into the video store and you would know people, right? You would have connections. You'd have relationships with these people. They would know you to be like, Hey, you would check out blah, blah, blah. You would really like so-and-so. It was a, a relationship you had. It was a community. And in the absence of a video store for most of us, uh, you know, a, a Redbox machine or Netflix is not the same. It doesn't replace community, but we can still have that community. And we do, you know, in the comments of these videos, uh, that's why I love when we can talk to each other about the things that we care about. We can recommend things and we can say, you know, I, I just discovered this. And that sense of community, it replaces the conversations that I feel like we're losing as our, as, as you know, Twitter dominates and, you know, inst all these platforms, they're wired to get, you know, as short, as much life out of as little content as possible. We're talking about 15 second clips, you know, we're talking about basically micro pieces of conversations that doesn't serve us. What serves us is having relationships, having a community that we can really be a part of. And I know the truck community is very strong. So uh, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but I would love to see some Star Trek conversation about the director's cut and getting the word out. The director's edition, excuse me. I was training myself not to call the director's edition, the director's cut, uh, getting that out the word out there that, Hey guys, if you love Star Trek and you have not seen this new, uh, the finalized director's edition, it's like seeing the movie for the first time. And I mean, it really is. Um, I want to see that get out there. That, that's that's our job. That's what we've been tasked with by Mr. Fine. So thank you guys for checking this episode out. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, uh, give thumbs ups if you're watching on YouTube. Anything you can do to engage, anything you can do to spread the word benefits this channel. Helps me get more... Frankly, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm all, at the end of these uh, recordings, the, the second, the, my, my outros on all these podcasts, I'm real honest with you guys. Uh, there have been some opportunities to interview people and they looked at my numbers and said, no, we're going to pass. So it does impact the conversations that I'm able to have with people. I would like to be able to have, um, you know, when I come to a, a, a person 
and say, hey, would you like to do an interview with Serial at Midnight? For them to look at numbers and go, oh, yeah, that's a really viable platform. Uh, and that's where you guys directly come in. It comes directly from your support and from seeing those numbers go up. So anything that you can do, please thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll also reference you over to Patreon. Um, Serial at Midnight does have a Patreon. There's well over 150 exclusive videos. I just posted another one. Uh, today as I'm recording this about, uh, a, a some, a, a viewer sent me something I've been looking for for years and it completed an aspect of my collection. What, you know, we have collections within our collection. So a full run of a certain thing. And, uh, that was so exciting. It's a, as much as, you know, that's why we love physical media is because it allows us to find these obscure things. Hey, some of this stuff's not on streaming. Some of this stuff is really it, some, that's why we love physical media, right? Cause it's a tangible connection with things that can disappear over time uh and i'm just really grateful for that finally <laughs> you know it's like I, I there's a there's a loop that closed in my head when i completed that collection i was like oh finally i will rest well tonight uh thank you guys i'm gonna let you go for this one this was a longer episode you notice some of them are shorter some of them are longer it's whatever it's whatever it needs to be thank you guys i appreciate you take care until next time i will catch you 